0: Take your Bibles, if you would please, and turn with me to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 10 this morning, Ecclesiastes chapter 10, as we reflect upon uh, the wrap-up, a final section of the wisdom of the Proverbs of Solomon and Ecclesiastes, as he shares with us a perspective of life under the sun and prepares us for that life under the sun in the presence of evil in all kinds of manner. And all kinds of sort, and he offers his observations and his counsel as his reflection upon life and um, some valuable insight for the day and age in which we live out of Ecclesiastes chapter ten before we get started this morning, uh, just a couple of other announcements. there will be no ABF class in the chapel today it 's postponed, and we'll we'll reconvene next week, and uh, next week, of course, is is uh, not next week, but the following week. Next week is a celebration uh, banquet, and offering, so we won't be meeting then. So the chapel class will be back on the slate for November 30th. I just have to teach the discovery class, not have to. I desire to meet with those prospective members this morning, and I can't be in two places at one time. Uh, That being said, early in December, we will call right after the morning worship service, a congregational meeting, In which we will vote on a proposal to bring a missionary, Ken Zook, into our ministry for the period of one year as an interim pastor to assist at times like this when we need some more voices and more people for the ministry. So, right after the morning worship service, we'll just call a quick meeting. We'll share our plan for the coming year. Uh, Ken and his wife, Lisa, will be finishing at the end of the year with Send International trying to decide and decipher, determine in wisdom what is it that God wants for us next, while he makes those life-changing kind of decisions, he can be of great value to us here. So we'd like to bring him on for an interim pastorate role so that he can really pursue what is it that God wants next for us, and yet at the same time, keep his hands in ministry and bless us here at First Baptist Church in Johnson City. Next week… Will be our celebration banquet and offering if you would like to there are still sign-up sheets available and um, maybe the only way we're going to make this work is if you don't sign up and show up we'll be happy to have you but you get at the end of the line and uh, whatever's left is left that day that'll take place right after the morning worship service at 11 o'clock we'll go across the hallway to the gymnasium and spend some time uh, just uh, fellowshipping together. And uh, for those who've never been, um, partake of an amazing meal and and some great dessert. So we encourage you to consider that. And as far as the offering goes, it's the only time of the year that we really talk about money. And the celebration offering is always something to reflect God's goodness to reflect His glory. It is an offering sacrificial in nature. And in this coming offering next week, there are a few things that we're going to be pursuing. Number one, family ministry initiatives, taking that next step and providing some, some necessary infrastructure and other funding for our family ministry. That is critically important in the day and age in which we live especially. We'll talk about that throughout the message today we're also entering into post-election a very perilous time for those who call themselves Christians and have a transcendent, uncompromising worldview of morality and ethics. And as we are the lone voice, we will make ourselves a continued target for those who who hold to to different opinions, and uh, we need to put some money on and continue. To shore up our safety and security here at First Baptist Church. Uh, God forbid anything might happen, but we need to be prepared if if it does happen, and we'll take some initial or continued steps in that. And if you've been with us, uh, we just uh, completed a a pretty substantial parking lot projects that cost a significant amount of money, so we also need to replenish our capital fund and then some other things as well. So all of the funds that come in in the celebration offering will be geared towards those particular things. We will remind you of those things next week in the beginning of the service, but we do want you to be a a part of that special celebration because in spite of life and everything under the sun and even this election— The body of believers needs to gather together and still acknowledge that God is good. He's been good to us and He's blessed us, and we need to learn to count those blessings. So, we hope you're with us next week for the celebration offering and then, of course, the banquet that follows after it. So, what do we do with thankful hearts? In the midst of some of the things that took place most recently, and our nation, and concerning the election. Again, I'd remind you this is not blue or red. But more and more, I'm coming to the conclusion that it's even deeper than that. It is good or evil. I don't know if you've been paying attention, but there is a particular state who had a ballot initiative to hold the medical community responsible to give the utmost care to babies that were born premature or for babies that somehow survived the aborted process. And the referendum was going to hold the medical community responsible for treating those infants, for taking care of their needs, to give life-sustaining care to them. And that initiative was voted down. That's evil. What are we to do with evil? If you've been paying attention, that wasn't New York. That ballot initiative wasn't in California, it was Montana. When I saw the results come in, I shuddered to think what God must must look at this nation as today. Medical community has always operated under the Hippocratic oath to give the utmost care, and now we're going to turn a blind eye to those who are the least among us. For those of you who are short-sighted, this is going to have huge ramifications. For the elderly among us, eventually. We live in a culture of death and paganism. And you say, Glenn, why are we getting together for a celebration offering? Pastor Jim, I'm glad you asked. Because our God still sits on the throne, and He's still gracious. And merciful, or we wouldn't be here right now. I can't imagine the righteous anger of a holy God towards the least of these. And this kindness and benevolence, we're, we're still here, and we still have a responsibility. And God is still good. In This Celebration Sunday, we will look at the good things of God, but but I was led a number of weeks ago, even months ago, to maybe approach Celebration Banquet this, this year a little bit different than I have in the past, and I'm going to speak about lament, the gift that you and I have been given by God that we can approach Him on absolutely everything. We can cry out to Him. And we can ask him questions. And we can beg him to do something. And we can say, God, how long? Remember the psalm writer. How long, O Lord, are you going to let this happen? Because a lament always ends in a very positive way. He will let it happen until he doesn't. But God will always keep his people to the end. He will always be the answer. A better day is coming And I believe that we are entering an age, I think we've been here for some time, that we need to learn the language of lament that has both an opportunity to bring our concerns and even our complaints to a holy and righteous God the right way, and at the same time in the midst of chaos have the full assurance that God is good and He hears us and this hasn't gone unnoticed and He will deal with it in His time and in His way. And we must experience that peace of god that passes understanding that is the balance of lament to live in an evil age believing that god is good and that he hears us and he is going to do something about this and believing that as worse of the times or in the worst of times no matter how bad things get We are indeed under the shelter of the Most High, abiding in his shadow. He knows the cries of our heart, and he hears us. How do we live that way in this current age? I suggest to you that a lament always results in a celebration. And even though I can't control anything here, I can rest in the one who does. But it doesn't take away our questions, and it doesn't take away our fears, and it doesn't, it doesn't take away the uncertainty of our tomorrow. Well, as we focus upon that, I think it's really interesting and fitting that we find ourselves in Ecclesiastes 10 today. The writer has brought together this great and grand assembly spoken of this experiment of life, his experiences under the sun, sharing what he's learned again under the sun, sharing common wisdom to how to negotiate that and, and, and to, to move through that chapter 11 and into chapter 12, he begins to to wind down his comments. It seems like chapter 10, he he kind of concludes the wisdom that he is passing on to those who he's assembled here together, and he sends some really interesting and timing things when it comes to the rulers of his age. I found that God's timing is always best. This is a message that was prepared for a, a number of weeks ago, but the only Sunday that Pastor Ken had available to speak as he finishes up his ministry and, and, and goes to all of these various places was the day in which I planned this message. So it got bumped to the Sunday after Thanksgiving. And if you don't think God was a part of that, you haven't been paying attention. In chapter 9, verse 11, the Kohelis it says again, I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favors to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. And all of your best plans and the way you think things ought to work out, and the way that you've perceived things ought to be, it doesn't work out that way all of the time. Because you're not in control of the times and the seasons. You're not in control of those things that happen in life. You don't control your destiny or your happiness, the very things that He set out to control from the beginning of the book of Ecclesiastes. Reminds us, man does not know his time. You don't even know the time of of death when your soul will be required of you like fish that are taken in an evil net and like birds that are caught in a snare. So the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. That resonates with me today. (laughs) It ought to resonate with you as well. I've also seen the example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words not heard. The words of the wise, heard, in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than the weapons of war. But one sinner destroys much good. He's making observations on life, the things that he perceives to be true, the things that are more apt to, not less apt to, happen and dictate the course of life. But what he's not getting... And what he's not giving are these absolute principles that this is the way it was supposed to be. You see, he started this whole journey on trying to figure out the way things are supposed to be, and now he's wrapping up those comments by saying, nobody knows. And you might have in your mind the way this ought to go and the way things ought to be, but you have no control over tomorrow or the next day, or the next day. You have no control over evil and no control over chance. And and his observation was simply in sometimes a bad way and in sometimes a good way. Make the most of today. Enjoy the things that you've been blessed with. Tomorrow is sufficient for the evil thereof. You can't change it anyhow. And he's passing down this wisdom to those who are gathered together. There are some who would interpret the book of Ecclesiastes in a very negative way. I don't. Perhaps I'm wrong, but I don't. I believe that it is a profitable book for us that reminds us that this is the way to live and this is a wisdom proverb. This is how you ought to conduct yourself under the sun. And the realization there must be some sense of greater trust For something other than what we know today in these proverbs there's always exceptions but he's sharing what he's learned by observance he is saying to us this is just common sense what you're going to find today in ecclesiastes chapter 10 is we've lost a sense of common sense and even the simple things we have complicated And he has some very astute and stern observations about why that is. As we get into it today, I I hope that you can connect the dots. And I pray more than anything else, you will understand the wisdom to live by in these evil days that are upon us. Pray with me, please. Father, I would ask that indeed you bless us as we spend some time together this morning. I pray that even in these difficult sections of Proverbs that we would be able to glean some truth, applicable truth, help us to understand that the wisdom or the Proverbs that he shares are wisdoms and, and, and Proverbs of application. The things that he's learned by observation that he says this works and this doesn't work, I pray that we would see that and understand it and and yield ourselves to some of the counsel and and consideration that that He gives as He gathers this, this assembly together to breathe into them some sense of reality, and eventually, as He closes out the book, to bring them to a screeching halt where they realize that they're in control of nothing and the implications to that. Offering His greatest counsel, the end of chapter 12. In the midst of life that doesn't make sense, we need to to learn to fear God and keep His commandments. Because that's what we have in a world that we cannot control. This master treatise where he reflects upon life under the sun and Share some of the mistakes that he's made. I pray that we would see some of the the positive aspects of what he says. I pray in many ways it would be an encouragement to our spirits, to our souls, to our minds, and to our hearts, and toward our future. And then, indeed, you teach us to fear. Bless as we study Ecclesiastes chapter 10. These proverbs from this man of wisdom... We ask in Jesus' name, amen. In chapter 10, verses 1, 2, and 3, he kind of continues this theme about those who are wise and those who speak wisdom, and those who speak no wisdom but foolishness and folly and destroy much good. He gives an example in verse 1 of chapter 10, dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. A little tiny fly can take that which is perceived or created to bring this beautiful and fresh aroma, a dead, rotting corpse or, or, or being can destroy this beautiful ointment, this precious ointment, this ointment that has of great value. That folly outweighs wisdom, that, that folly, just a little bit of folly robs you of the wisdom and the realities of life it outweighs honor, that small, short-lived folly can, can, can really disrupt even the course of life. And he's talking about those who are short-sighted and those who don't understand that, that one single, simple, little thing is all it takes to spoil something of great value. One bad choice, one bad thought, one untimely word can unravel much of the good that takes place in life. Boy, that is great counsel for today. That is great counsel for you and I. That is great counsel as we approach the issues of life, the culture in which we live. He makes a distinction about wisdom and folly, stench and the perfumer's ointment by saying, a wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's to the left. In the very essence of their being, a wise man moves towards power and strength and right and good. He is decisive. He is looking towards improving or or seizing upon opportunities in life. But a fool's heart leans to the left would be the opposite of power and strength, the opposite of right and good. The opposite of deciding what to do by doing whatever is prudent at the time in a short-sighted kind of manner. Remember what he said throughout the book? I decided in my heart to pursue all of the pleasures under the heaven. And he came to the conclusion, what a disappointment. He is contrasting. The decision making of a fool, with the decision making of that which is deemed to be right and, and good and, and powerful. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense and says to everyone that he is a fool. In these first three verses, the writer of Ecclesiastes has drawn some really clear parallels between the man who walks in wisdom and the man who walks as a fool. And throughout the context of this book, he has shared his real and deep mistakes, some of the the decisions that he's made along the way, and now coming to the end of his life saying, maybe I would have done that different. Maybe I would have seen things different. Please understand this was a man who has been given the wisdom of God, and if he can make those kinds of mistakes, who are we? Who are we? He's warning us. One bad decision in a good life Contained everything. One bad word and a good conversation can turn it to the wrong direction. And he reminds us that the fool walking on the road of life lacks any kind of sense. He has a deficient mind. He is not able to see the truth. But here's what he does see. Everybody who he runs across he determines, is a fool. You notice how that works in life? So this fool looks at everybody else and points out their foolishness and draws condemnation and criticism and contempt in his voice toward them. But he never sees his own foolishness, even though it is exposed every step of the way. Quick to judge others, Equally quick to show their foolishness. Had some pretty strong, strong thoughts about this after the election. Are we that stupid? There are consequences for every behavior. You get what you pay for. The fool thinks you're the problem. Everyone else knows the fool's the problem. In essence, perhaps he's touching on the truth of the sanctity of personal responsibility, making everyone else the blame for things, when in fact you're the one wandering down the road, no sense of values and leaning towards that which is wicked on the left. And as you walk on the left in that evil, you point out the foolishness even of those who are good. That's the world. That's what just happened before our very eyes. It is amazing to me how how clear this learned wisdom, these proverbs apply to every situation in life. And then he takes an interesting turn in in verse 4, and he deals with… Corrupt power and the consequence of that corrupt power. I was putting this all together a number of weeks ago and revisiting that over the last couple of weeks. It just was amazing to me how God was kind of laying this all in a perfect place for us to make sense of life as we know it. He is seeking to paint a picture of a society in great turmoil. Now, there's a couple of things that we can take from that. Number one, there's nothing new under the sun. And we lament and we worry and we say, well, this is the worst of all situations. And Solomon says, been there and done that. I'm living in a bunch of, with a bunch of fools in this life under the sun. I I realize the society is in, in turmoil. I realize that corrupt power has grave consequences. And although there isn't much comfort in that it does help us to correct a little bit how we think and perceive of the days and age in which we live so he says in verse 4 if the anger of the ruler rises against you do not leave your place for calmness will lay great offenses to rest here's a bit of wisdom the king has absolute power remember what he said early on in the text so be careful what you say and how you react to the king. So in the midst of this chaos, turmoil in society, in the middle of corrupt power and all of those consequences, he is giving us a day-to-day proverb, be careful. The anger of the ruler doesn't rise against you. Don't run out of his presence saying brash things, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. A soft answer turns away wrath, as the book of Proverbs lets us know. Now remember, these Proverbs are being offered in the context of life under the sun. They're not absolute standards of living. As we go through the text, you're going to begin to see that and eventually understand how do we do, re- respond to these rulers who rise, these superiors Who are fools? How do we respond and keep our composure and our demeanor in the midst of increased wickedness? Again, maybe you've missed that connection. It is screamed in my ear this week. How do I keep my spiritual composure in the midst of this madness? And I don't care who you are, if you don't think it's madness, you haven't been paying attention. This is crazy. Some would take this verse and interpret it as pacification. Don't make the king angry. Just kind of give in to his ways. I don't think that's what he's suggesting. But he is giving us a proverb as to avoid the wrath of the king who's done some crazy things. It reminds us of the importance of self-control. And in the worst of times, it's easy to lose your grip on that. There's an evil that I have seen under the sun. I've learned this by observation, he said, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. I've learned that there's an evil under the sun in that there are serious repercussions from a ruler who is negligent, from someone in authority who has lost its moorings. When someone in authority has turned to the left and doesn't know their left hand from the right, it reminds me much of the city of Nineveh, the ministry of Jonah as he goes into that city. And he reminds us that that, that I've learned that in the midst of those kinds of serious repercussions, bad things happen. In fact, folly is set in many high places and the rich sit in low places. Those who are the favored elite today, the privileged class, have a tendency to live and execute their lives as simpletons, mentally deficient. Some would even say in modern translations, the idiots are in charge. I I didn't say it. That's the text. Those who have the wisdom and the discernment, the gifts to be out front and lead, have been relegated to a back seat. And those who have no sense of right and wrong and left and right are the people in control. This is the king over Israel, Jerusalem. I've seen slaves on horses. and princes walking on the ground like slaves. Everything's upside down. Do you ever feel that way? Everything's upside down today. You see, for those who rode horses, that was an expensive commodity. You had to be very wealthy to have a horse And yet he describes those of means, those who have achieved and accomplished in life as the foot soldiers, a very low place of humility. And that these slaves were on the horses, it's like they've reversed roles and, and the people on the left are in control, not the people on the right, and nobody seems to notice that that's a problem. And he's saying, that's a problem. That's a real problem. There are consequences to leadership, particularly corrupt leadership. The truth of the matter is the lessons that we learn in Ecclesiastes are are under-the-sun kind of lessons that are true whether you're a believer or not. Your perspective defines priorities. Your priorities determine pursuits. Your pursuits develop into passions, and your passions produce inevitable consequences. And I believe those consequences are here. And it remains to be seen what God is going to do about that. There are some commentators that would connect all of these verses, and then someone would say that he now moves into another section of Proverbs, and he moves outside of those those corrupt, powerful officials and leaders. I think it's a little bit of both. But he's reminding us in this corrupt culture that there are uncertainties of life, Things don't go as planned. Again, back in verse 11 and 12, he said, I once thought that the race went to the wise and the powerful and the intelligent and those with knowledge and to the swift and the battle to the strong, but I found that that's not always the case. So now he's telling us that because it's not always the case, tomorrow and our future are uncertain at times. If you've lived any length of time, you know that to be true. And he rehearses some of those uncertainties and these simple proverbs. He who digs a pit will fall into it. And a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stone is hurt by them. And he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge... He must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. He says some simple truths in life here. Pay attention to this, he says. For that hunter out there digging a pit and camouflaging that pit to catch an animal, he must be careful that he doesn't fall into that same pit. That person... Taking down a wall and taking down the stones of that wall, there may leap out a serpent and bite that person. You have no control over that. There's nothing you can do about it. Just be aware that that's a reality. In fact, we've said this often we live in a fallen world and sometimes it falls on you. And we make the grave discernment and judgment error of saying it only falls on you if you're a bad person. And if you've learned anything from Solomon in this book of Ecclesiastes, he said, I wish that's how it worked, but it doesn't always work that way. Sometimes the good people suffer the consequences and sometimes the bad people seem to get away with it. He said, that's just life. It's uncertain. You can never be sure, but here's what we can know. In this broken, fallen world, sometimes the pieces of that brokenness fall into our laps. And because of the uncertainties of life, we are left to deal with it. Sometimes it's connected to leadership. Sometimes it's connected to choices. All the time. It is connected to a God who sits on the throne. One commentator said that the Kolath. Is speaking of a topsy turvy world in which the incompetent are in positions of power and influence, and where the elite are in lowly places, and the simple error of judgment in those elites creates a chaotic society. But there's nothing that you can do about it because we live in a broken world. And sometimes it'll fall on you, not of your own doing, but sometimes. Not always, but sometimes. Remember, these proverbs are observations, they're not absolutes. That's why he begins in chapter 9 saying, now, just when you think you've figured out this equation, it doesn't always work that way. And he's trying to give us this hope to, to hang on. He's trying to teach us to live by wisdom and to be careful of the things that we do and, and not make these simple common sense mistakes. Isn't it amazing? That oftentimes in our culture, we double down on those things that bring bad consequences, thinking that somehow maybe it'll turn good. It's like this woodsman with an axe beating this piece of log, trying to split this log, and and he's getting angry and he beats it harder and he beats it longer instead of stopping and a bit of common sense and wisdom and saying, maybe I ought to sharpen the axe first. We laugh at that illustration. And that illustration laughs back at us because we've all, we've all been there, haven't we? He's just offering us some, some wisdom and some common sense. He says in verse 10, wisdom helps one to succeed. This common sense, this, these things that you've learned in your lifetime, they're helpful. Don't, don't, don't ignore them. goes on and says, if a serpent bites before it's charmed, there's no advantage to the charmer. If you don't exercise that wisdom in a timely fashion, that wisdom doesn't do you any good after the snake bites you. Boy, if we had do-overs, we would do it that way, right? Then turns his attention. As he reflects upon the uncertainties of life. And the things that are certain. The things that we can do. And the things that are within the context of this life under the sun, these proverbs for living. Use your common sense. Do what you're good at, work smarter, not harder. Remember that success is the fruit of wisdom. There's advantage in wisdom. Don't be a fool. Perhaps reflecting on his own life, saying, there's times I've played the fool. I brought you together today to reflect upon my life and to encourage you, don't do that. But he's already reminded us at the beginning of the speech, you will anyhow, because there's no remembrance of the former things. How true that is. In a world that has seemed to have gone mad, where the normal order of things seemed to have been turned upside down, one thing we can always count on is the fools and their folly. You can always count on that. So he says in verse 12, As he contrasts the fool and the wise man, the words of the wise man's mouth win him favor. The lips of a fool will consume him. The wise man's mouth, words, of conversations on the manner of life, the expression of wisdom, the expression of common sense, the expression of Opening your eyes wide and seeing the way that things are, that the emperor has no clothes, brings positive results, but the lips of a fool have destructive effects. And he warns us that sometimes the lips of a fool are heard over the wisdom of the wise he says as much in chapter 9, verse 17, the words of the wise, heard, and quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. He's telling us to be careful with our mouths, the things that we say and the things that we communicate in spite of the craziness of our world. The beginning of the words of his mouth, the fool is foolishness, And the end of his talk is madness. When he begins to speak, he lacks reason and rationality. He has no common sense. And in the end, we conclude he's just crazy. I don't know about you, and I have to be careful about the application. Uh, I hear in my head this little bell going off, ding, ding, ding. That's exactly what just happened in this election, right? This is what it is. You say, oh, you're being critical shouldn't speak like that, Pastor Jim. Well, aren't you now being critical But Pastor Jim shouldn't speak that way? He's just saying, listen, there's fools and there's wise men. You better know the difference. You better know the difference. The fool is always a fool. With a lack of reason and rationality, with a lack of common sense, at the end of the day, with no rhyme and reason, everything is turned upside down. It's just crazy. That's the world we live in. While a fool's speech might seem inane or silly at the start, easily dismissed, the end result is insanity, and the consequences are dire. Why? Because a fool multiplies words. They're part of every aspect of our culture and our life. You ever notice the general proverb? It's general, it's not true in all situations. That there's always someone who goes on and on about something that they have no knowledge about. You ever, you ever notice that? Especially the future. When no man knows what it is to be, nobody even knows the future. What do you mean? Life isn't as simple as you want it to be. Who can tell him? Who can tell him? What will be after him? Nobody. Not even the wise man. A lesson for sure. So the toil of a fool wearies him. And he doesn't know the way to the city. This man has become so depraved in his mind so foolish in his thinking that he can't even find his way home at the end of the day. You say, how is that possible? Look around you. Not only is it possible, it is a reality that we live in. People talking incessantly about subjects they have no knowledge and know nothing about. People telling us what will come next when we don't even know what comes tomorrow. People telling us how things ought to be when they are foolish in their thinking, and don't know right from wrong, their left hand from the right. I'm not just talking about politics. I'm talking about people in general. Who are you listening to? Because the wise are speaking in quiet tones, but the fool is shouting from the rooftop. Remember what he says early on in the the chapter? Our attention in our culture today is to those who are shouting from the rooftop, but even the fool. His actions and his speech bring weariness to his spirit because he knows he has no answers. And he is so stupid, commentator's word, not mine, he can't even find his way back home. He doesn't even have common sense. Maybe I'm weird, and you know that I am. stating the obvious, we've never known so much and understood so little about life. The information to anything that you want is at the tip of your fingers and exists in the physical realities of your little devices, and yet we don't know anything about life. We don't even know the way to the city. We don't even have any common sense. Now, it would be easy for me to draw an indictment against the leaders and the cultural elites, and I will continue to do that, but this wisdom is for all of us. And it's easy to put yourself in those lofty decision-making positions when you know nothing about the complexities of decisions that they're making. If it was easy, everyone would be doing it. I'd rather those with wisdom would be doing it. But if it was easy, everyone would be doing it. He's just cautioning us. Be careful. Because we're all in the same boat here. But woe to you, O land. Woe to you. A warning of impending doom, O land, when your king is a child, an immature Unwise fool. I shouldn't say this, but I'm going to. My my apologies ahead of time, but it illustrates the point. Everyone was so concerned about a twit who was tweeting terrible and awful things. In exchange, we got a pagan preaching pagan principles and killing children and thinking that's a good day for America. We all lost we all lost. He's talking about both of those extremes for those who still think he's the answer, Trump's think don't be a fool, God is the answer, always has been. He's telling us we're all in the same boat, be careful. But woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. What does he mean? Woe to you who put people in charge who are self-indulgent and full of themselves. There are consequences to that. Woe to you. On the other side, happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobility, when the people who are in charge have earned that right, who have shown themselves to be true, those who have made wise decisions and your prince's feasts at the proper time. They know the times and the seasons. They know what's appropriate and not appropriate. They have common sense, in other words, for strength and not drunkenness. It's not... The other side has more self-control. They, too, are indulgent, but they're careful in their decision-making. And I suppose at the end of verse 16 and 17, we could conclude you get what you pay for. You get what you pay for. Is that depressing? Remember, he's speaking under the sun. Here's the greatest thing about this text. We look at the world and say, what a terrible place, but it turns our eyes into the right direction. You follow me? And until you see how bad this is, you will never look in the right direction. So look up. Look to the hills from whence cometh your help. It's not a political party, and it's not a person, and it's even not the foolish becoming wise. It is the king of kings and lord of lords who knows the end from the beginning, and he still sits on his throne but it's crazy here. That's the gift of lament. You can say that to God. This is crazy. You don't think He knows, but He's given you permission to bring your complaints, and He quiets your heart by saying, I am the King. I am the King. All wise and all knowing and forever the sovereign one of the universe. So, in the midst of this craziness, there's some wisdom for living that all of us must learn. He warns, through sloth, the roof sinks in, and through indolence, the house leaks. You can't, you can't continue your life doing nothing. You can't be lazy about this. You must pay the price and, and, and address these things. You can't just sit back and wait for everything to get better because it's not going to get better. And if you don't take care of your roof, it's going to fall in. And if you don't take care of the leaks by plugging them up, it is going to continue to leak and get worse. And it's the Proverbs contained in the book of the Old Testament to teach us some of those very simple and clear things. There's work to be done, there's discernment to be had, there's common sense to be exercised, and there is wisdom to be found as we sort through the issues of life and put the first things first. But Pastor Jim, what are those first things? He tells us in chapter 12, fear God and keep His commandments. Because that's the only way out of this pit that we have fallen into. Good counsel indeed. Some of us are in the pit. And it's the end of the world because of the electoral map. That is not the end of the world until our God says, I'm done. But even then, nothing shall pluck us from our Father's hand. Nothing. So bread is made for laughter. And wine gladdens the heart and money answers everything. Is He teaching us to take this path of hedonism? Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. Someone take that very negative. Or is He saying what He said time and time again? Make sure you see the blessings of today, even if it's sitting down for a meal, even if it's through the glass of wine, even if it's through the simple things. Make time for those things. I also think that it gives us a grave warning in that verse because if those things become the consuming influences in our life we get preoccupied with money and our resources and our possessions and I almost think he's adding this caveat oh by the way don't make that the end in itself. I did that, and it didn't turn out well for me. But if your life's all about eating and enjoyment and drinking and enjoyment, you need money to be able to do that, and money becomes your God. In fact, money is the root of all evil. The scriptures perhaps are telling us you use your resources well. And in the midst of your partying, maybe you should have done some house repairs. And again, there's such a poignant lesson for that in where we are as a country today, but I'll leave it to you to come to that conclusion. So, he says, even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom, curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice or some winged creature tell you of the matter. He is saying, hey, listen, under this sun in the midst of these corrupt leaders and all of this consequence, make sure you are well aware that the things that come out of your mouth can and will be used against you. So choose your words carefully. He's telling us in the context as he wraps up this this concluding section, not to curse the king, not in our bedroom to curse the rich, and to be warned that, that there's a... There's a reality under the sun that, that your words will come back and bite you eventually. So, choose those words carefully. A little bird told me. Did you ever hear that phrase? Did you know it came right out of Scripture? Loose lips sink ships, you know, you know that's tied to this passage of Scripture. Now, listen carefully, and this is really, really important. Some would say, he's warning us the big brother is listening, and there is a day of recompense coming. They're going to they're punish the resistors—they're going to punish those who speak against them. Well, welcome to the world. We know that's a reality. Is he saying don't say anything? This is a false conclusion. And for those of you who think, well, Jen, just don't talk about these things, Pastor Jim. It's not what he's saying. Look at the Old Testament. Then the prophets were wrong for calling out the kings and the evil of their day. Of course, they weren't. The church is wrong being told to be the salt and light of the world, of course that's not wrong. Was Paul wrong when he confronted and used the Roman system to defend himself in those times? Of course not. Was Paul wrong to say we live in a pagan culture? Of course not. There is a time to speak. He is just teaching us we must be careful of our speech. And what he's telling us is this, for everything under the heaven, and I believe this is a conclusion, in chapter 11 he begins his final point. He is saying to us there's a consequence for everything, including your words. So be careful. There are those on the left in our churches who say, don't talk about that stuff. The government's just going to get mad at you. Should I appease? Should I stay silent? Should I not speak up and Bring light to a dark world? I don't, I don't think he's saying that at all. He's just saying you better weigh the consequences before you do that. And I want you to know, on a personal level, I've weighed them heavily in my life. And for my unwavering commitments, not to everything, because I've been wrong, but because of my unwavering commitments to the truth that sets us free in the Word i paid pay the consequence, that's all he's saying. So speak in wisdom, don't speak out of turn. Choose your words carefully, but you can't be silent. I am reminded, as we wrap up again of the lessons that we're teaching on Wednesday night, as we're looking at the period of church history and the Reformation, and one man in particular who was not always careful with his words, Martin Luther, the great reformer. He's brought before the Pope, the political magistrates of that day in 1520. They bring all of his books and they lay them on the table and they call him to be silent. Don't speak to these things anymore. In fact, not only do we not want you to say these things, we want you to recant that these things are even true. Martin Luther asked for 24 hours to contemplate and consider the consequences of his words. And if he were to say, I don't recant, what would happen? And if he would say, I do recant, what would happen? And his conclusion is magnificent. Unless I am convinced by the testimony of Scriptures or by clear reason, that is wisdom, common sense. For I do not trust either in the Pope or in the councils alone said, it is well known that they have often erred in contradicting themselves. I am bound by the Scriptures I have quoted, and my conscience is captive to the Word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything because it is neither safe nor right to go against my conscience. And knowing the consequences, he concludes, God help me. God help me. I know there are consequences to my speech. God help me. Amen. We cannot be silent, but we must choose our words carefully. And you must weigh the cost. Doesn't this remind you of so much in the Scripture? Doesn't it remind you that we're to walk in wisdom and to choose our words carefully? I hope so. Doesn't it remind you of the simple lessons we teach our children? And the flood came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. God help us. God help us. Wrapping up his reflections on the path of life that he chose. Bringing all to a head to share his ultimate conclusion. And I believe that what he's done is exactly what the Apostle Paul recommends and has done for the New Testament church. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord is. God, help me. Amen. Bless us with that kind of wisdom, Father bless us with that kind of understanding, quiet our hearts, grant us boldness, help us to see it for what it is, to live according to the truth, to stand tall and in the end and we never forget the conclusion of the wisest man that ever lived. Fear God and keep his commandments. It is a time for fear. May it be in our speech. May it be in our choices. May it be in our lifestyle. May it be in your church for the glory of God alone, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please stand and join?